welcome to the Yoga Teacher Circle podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Ray, yoga teacher. You are needed now more than ever, and your unique voice, message, and offering needs to be shared with the world. In this podcast, we'll talk about all things related to teaching yoga to help you thrive doing what you love most, teaching yoga. So let's dive in. So I am super excited for today's topic and conversation. We have Justine Miller on here with us today. And this conversation is all about Ayurveda. So we're going to dive into seasonal tips and incorporating Ayurveda into your teaching and your personal life. So I'll do a little intro for you, Justine, and then I'll pass it over to you. You now, I know you're a yoga teacher. But now most of your work is to share the Ayurvedic lifestyle within your teaching and your classes. You lead yoga retreats, events, workshops. You work with yoga teachers specifically. So we'll definitely talk on that pretty soon. And I just really love that you have niched down in this area. I think it's really important. I think that like I lead 200 hour yoga teacher trainings and Ayurveda is like a three to four hour section. And that's pretty standard, pretty typical. So that's why I'm really excited to have you here today because I know so many teachers are interested in learning more. Let's start with you a little bit more and your personal story. How long have you been teaching yoga and what inspired you to become a teacher? Well, thanks again so much for having me and to have these conversations. It's so important. And yeah, I am super passionate about supporting yoga teachers and diving a bit deeper into the Ayurveda realm for my Mm -hmm. I did my 200 hour in 2013. And I actually had a journalism and creative writing background. And I took a break after college to do an AmeriCorps program, which is like the Peace Corps, but domestic. Okay. And lived in the Midwest. And I was on a team and we worked together. We worked out together. We ate together. uh, We lived together. It was a lot. Um, But during the program with the workouts, I just decided to teach my team yoga just from what I knew as a student. And so when life after AmeriCorps, I was like, I mean, let's just keep going down the rabbit hole. I'll just try on this yoga teaching and and learn more about how this practice can support other people. Mm, Yeah, I love that. So did you start teaching right after your training? I did. Yeah. So I did my training in um, February and March of 2013. And I'll never forget my very first yoga class. I lived in a small town and I was invited to teach at a studio. And the I did all of my training at the Kripali Center for Yoga and Health, which is based in the Berkshires in Massachusetts. Yeah, I've been there before. I love it. It's beautiful. Nice. Yeah. And so the Kripali methodology is really about like you being your own teacher, you honoring yourself and a bit more fluidity and creativity versus is my community at home was very like Baptiste hot power yoga. So I felt a little bit like a fish out of water offering something new. And I remember I used to have a portable altar, like I brought a block and I had a little Ganesh and a bell. And (laughs) (laughs) I love that. (laughs) One of my yoga teachers brought me flowers and I was sitting there like ready to go and no one came. Yeah. No one came for a while. Yeah. And I was living with my mom at the time and she would know no one would come because I would come home maybe like a half hour after until that one class where I didn't come home because people came. Aww. 
Yeah, that is like, it's just such a part of being a teacher. I've had these conversations so many times with my YTT groups and with yoga teachers on this podcast and in this group, because it's just kind of part of it. It really is like the no shows and continuing to show up, even though no one showed up like that's the work that's hard. Mm -hmm. How did it make you feel? I remember just being like, it's okay, I'll try again. You know, I think I think when we find the thing that makes us excited and that we can't help but talk about and explore every day, no matter what, that drive will just allow us to keep showing up and things will eventually shift. Yeah, I love that. That's awesome. I'm glad you shared that. So what guided you to specifically learning about Ayurveda? So just like many other yoga teachers in my 200 hour, we had our little brief Ayurvedic introduction. And doing my training at Kripalu, it was a retreat-like atmosphere. I lived there for a month. So we had the dorm living and buffet eating and classroom learning. And so the Ayurvedic lecture at the time was really based around how to survive at Kripalu um, while we're in this incubator. And I remember myself having some digestive issues that I didn't normally have. I asked the presenter, I said, I'm eating what I would normally eat at home. I'm eating soups and salads and sandwiches, and but I still don't feel great. And the presenter just offered me a little solution and said, try to avoid eating hot and cold meals together and see what happens. Mm-hmm. So I had a hot meal or I only had a cold meal And that made a huge difference. And that really piqued my interest of what is this Ayurveda? That the medicine can really be as simple as one temperature meals. Yeah, that's powerful. I love that line. The medicine can be this simple. Like that right there is powerful. Can you speak to that more? Yeah, I remember going down the Ayurvedic rabbit hole then from that point on of just simplistic medicine around sipping hot water and making lunch our biggest meal. The three pillars of health to Ayurveda are diet, sleep, and energy management. Mm. And I remember learning these things. They sound so simple. And yet I think us as a whole, we're always looking for the band-aid, the quick fix, the, it must be more complicated than this. Yeah. Yeah, We complicate things so like so intensely. (laughs) Let's like backtrack for a minute here, just in case someone is not really familiar with Ayurveda. What is Ayurveda? So Ayurveda literally translates as the wisdom of life. It's the oldest and continuously practiced healing system in the world. And it um, also stems from India. So it's about 5,000 years old and is considered to be a sister science to yoga. How are you sharing this practice with others? Like, what does that look like? Who are you teaching it to? What does that Do you incorporate it in like a mentorship program or in your classes or everything, all of the above? Yeah, so I took the the little bit I learned from my 200 hour training and just started changing my own routines and rhythms. Mm -hmm. And when I felt ready to learn more, that's when I continued to do my Ayurvedic yoga teacher training because I was really fascinated and and I, I knew Ayurveda to be a sister science to yoga. And then I was just really fascinated of learning why and how do they work together. So in doing that, I started to teach Ayurvedic yoga myself. And I really just thought it uh, it offered some some nuance and detail to my students to explore so that they could feel more in harmony with nature and themselves. Mm-hmm. 
then I continued on to be an Ayurvedic health counselor all through Kapalu as well. So I've done um, health counseling work, which um, really supports essentially healthy people staying healthy, not too much disease. And realizing there's this, this missing gap of people that really want to learn Ayurveda, but maybe don't want to be an Ayurvedic health counselor. So I did create this middle ground of a mentorship program for people who want that one-on-one -on -one attention to really be taught Ayurveda because it, it can be confusing looking online and reading the books. It can seem very dense and heavy. And so just having that one-on-one -on -one conversation and breakdown of Ayurvedic principles, I found to be really supportive for people too. Mm, yeah, that's cool. So when you say um, Ayurvedic yoga teacher, is that what you said? Mm -hmm. So now you're blending. So you're actually taking Ayurveda into your classes. How does that differ the class style that you're teaching? Yeah, so the Ayurvedic yoga teaching, it really considers the season that we're in. And it considers the energy of the room, right? So walking in, is everyone laying down? Or is everyone talking? <laughs> or if people have physical complaints. It's starting to look at the environment, right? Like how we're setting up the space in the room to support the season or the dosha that might need some support. Dosha meaning uh, mind, body, energy type. So if you, it really it's all about observing, right? Like what you just said is like being able to walk in the room and observe like what's happening in front of me, who's here in front of me and what are the needs? And how can I meet those needs? How can I offer tools? Let's talk about like the season that we're in right now. Let's shift more into the seasonal tips. We're in winter in some places, fully in winter and others kind of like shifting further. Like what changes happen in Ayurveda? Like what do people want to focus on right now? So Ayurveda does recognize five elements of ether as in space, air, fire, water, and earth. These five elements we see in nature, right? We see space, we see air moving, we see fire in the sun, we see water, we see soil, we see earth. But these elements are also within us. Like we have space in our body. Think about your intestines and air. Think about your heartbeat and blink mm -hmm. of the eyes and movement of elimination. Fire, we have our digestive fire. Think of bile and digestive enzymes and blood we're also mostly made of water. And then of course, our, our physicality. Ayurveda is really reminding us we are a reflection of nature. And so we are influenced by nature. The elements are then broken down into three doshas, vata, pitta, and kapha. Vata is a combination of air and ether. Pitta is a combination of fire and water, which might sound opposite, but think of like blood or acid. There's a heating liquidity to it. Mm -hmm. And kapha is earth and water. So the seasons are associated with each dosha as well. So vata season, air and ether is the fall and winter time. And so that's when air and ether is more dominant. We see the dryness, right? The leaves dying and falling from the trees. We see the, the wind. We see dry skin, chapped yeah. lip. Yeah, so we are affected then by the air and ether, the dry skin, chapped lips, dry hair, maybe constipation, gas or bloating a sense of anxiety or ungroundedness, omnia, these can all be signs that there might be a little too much vata accumulating. I'd love to like hear that for each season actually is like how does each se season affect us physically and emotionally? So spring is a combination of earth and water, so kapha season. 
if we think about earth and water, it's very heavy and dense and sticky, right? And oily, it's like mud. Mm -hmm. I would like to say spring's not always sunshine and tulips. <laughs> like people tend to think when it's rainy out, they're like, this isn't spring. I'm like, this is spring. This is, ah. this is the fertile ground that's being created in order to get to the sunshine and the tulips. And so things that can show up for us is feeling lethargic, maybe depressed and heavy, maybe feeling sluggish digestion or sticky stools, feeling unmotivated. It's especially double the amount for people that identify as the doshas. So we as people were made of all five elements, therefore we're all, we all have the three doshas within us. However, there may be one or two that's most dominant within us. So people that are vata types will feel winter more and people that are kapha types will feel spring more. Pitta is the summer season. That's when it's very hot and light and also oily. If there's a little too much heat accumulating, this is when we can feel inflammation or loose stools. Um, we might feel anger, aggression, competitiveness, and judgment. Yeah. So really the goal with Ayurveda is like when I learned it years ago, something that kind of stuck with me is like, do the opposite of like what is happening in your body or around you in your environment. So can you touch more on like, if you were meeting with a student or client, what are you actually looking at and assessing? And if someone comes to you and they're like, I really want to implement this practice and learn these tools, like I'm really tired or I'm, I have insomnia, like what are you looking at? And then what do you offer them? So it is really first looking at what is the chief complaint, right? Yeah. Like what are people currently working with or that they'd like to support with? And that tends to be the imbalance that shows up. And so when addressing ourselves or myself and addressing other people, it's first looking at the imbalance. For example, yeah, if someone comes and says they have insomnia. Okay, so that to me is a vata indicator. The next thing is considering what season are we in? Okay, it's vata season, so they might need some double support in the vata situation. And then it comes to their personal dosha. So maybe they are a vata dosha and need triple the support in that way. Or maybe they're another dosha, but their vata is what's currently speaking to them right now. Do we, are we born with one dosha that's more dominant or does it fluctuate throughout our life? Both. So we do have what's called our prakriti, and that's our constitution. That's what we're born as that never changes. And Ayurveda actually speaks a lot about women's health and pregnancy because of this. There's a couple schools of thought that I've learned is the first school of thought is your dosha, your prakriti is determined from the energy of your conception. Ooh. And then the other school okay. of thought is your dosha is determined after you're born, like how the mother treats the baby in the womb. Wow. And so either way, the energy of conception and pregnancy is very powerful in Ayurveda. So we have our prakriti, our constitution, what we're born as, and something to consider in figuring that out for yourself is reminding yourself of what you were like when you were a kid, right? Before family or society conditioned us to feel like we have to be or think certain ways, what were our initial instincts? Like, were you the kid that had a lot of imaginary friends and did arts and crafts? That's very Vata-like. Or were you the kid that made up games and delegated everyone's role that they're doing? That's very pitiless. That was totally me. Yeah. <laughs> that still comes out in me at times. And I'm like, where's that coming from? Yeah. <laughs> or were you the kid that just kind of hung back and liked to sit in the woods? That's pretty kapha type. 
Mm, just kind of chilling and yeah, cruising, yeah. hanging out. <laughs> yeah, that's and, cool. Yeah, and so then the vicarity is what's currently out of balance, and this is the one that fluctuates. So I may be a kapha constitution, but I could have a vata vikriti. And this can fluctuate uh, time of life. This could be the season that we're in. We're more influenced by the dosha when we're in their season. And so it can be difficult to nail down our prakriti without first addressing what's out of balance. So once we address what's out of balance, it's almost like your true self can become more revealed. Mm, I love that. That's really cool. I'm checking the comments right now because I'm seeing... So Diane says, I was born as a Vata Kapha, but was conditioned to be a Pitta, as I've learned from a recent consult with an Ayurvedic practitioner. Yeah, that's interesting. So like what, when you read that or hear that, Justine, like what comes up for you conditioned to be a Pitta? Yeah, I think our Western culture is really a conditioning people to be Pittas, wanting the nine to five, the work, implementing everything and getting everything right and the drive. And you could imagine, so Vata types, as an example, Vata types, they're really um, the ones that get inspiration and ideas, but they're not really equipped in their nature to implement all of them. Got it. Right? So imagine being a Vata type, and now you're being told you have to do this, and then we might feel, then we start to get conditioned, right? And this is how I have to be and fit into this box. But if we rather like lean into all of our gifts, then we can co-create much more easily together. Yeah, and that fits in such alignment with, are you familiar with the zone of genius? Mm -hmm. And that's just really like, what are your natural gifts that like are part of you? And how can you do more of that in your life and like stay in your zone of genius? That aligns with that. I love that. If people want to find out their dosha, they're looking at prakriti and then vikriti. The vikriti can change. Can you like alter between all three at different points, like how would that change in our lives? Totally. I understand so, the seasons and all of that. Yeah, so so time of life, like zero to 25 is the kapha time of life. And that's okay. really like the building, nurturing years. So we might lean into more kapha tendencies then. The hmm. time of life is 25 to 60. And these are like the doing years where maybe we're starting families or we're building careers or we're traveling or whatever the our choices are in that way, but we're implementing more. So we might be more influenced by Pitta during this time of life. Mm -hmm. And then 60 plus is the Vata time of life, the wisdom years. And we start to see our body starts to dry out, right? We get the gray hair. And this is when we will be more influenced by Vata. That's cool. Are the, the online quizzes pretty accurate? Like, what are your thoughts on that? If people are wanting to find out, like, well, what am I? I am honestly not a huge fan of the quizzes, but I do still think that they're fun and helpful. Okay. So the reason why I'm not a huge fan of the quizzes is because it might not show you your property. It will probably show you your vicarity. You're going to answer the questions by what's currently out of balance for you, most likely. And so what can happen too is, is we can get hung up, right? We take an online quiz and it says I'm a Vata. Then it's like, I'm a Vata. I'm only doing Vata things. And then we can forget like, whoa, well, we're actually all three doshas and they can show up differently for me. And how can I relate to these other parts of me? But they are still helpful in, in learning what are my habits right now? What's currently not working well for me? And, and then we can address what support I might need in that way. Okay, got it. So when you're working with someone, you're looking at like, I mean, so much more than taking a quiz. Yeah, <laughs> obviously, right? 
are helpful. And the, a quiz that I do love is actually from one of my teachers, Dr. John Dooliard. Um, his website is lifespa.com. And his quiz, I think, is great because it's very comprehensive. It's like looks at your behaviors and emotions and physical attributes. So it's a bit more in-depth. Mm -hmm. Got it. Okay, cool. Yeah, I've always wondered about that. So it's good to ask that question. <laughs> if you aren't already a member, I'd love for you to join me in the free private Facebook group for yoga teachers. Just simply search Yoga Teacher Circle on Facebook. Most of these episodes are recorded live in the Facebook group where you can ask questions in real time and connect with the Yoga Teacher Circle community. Now, back to the episode. I want to shift a little bit now into yoga teachers specifically since this is a yoga teacher podcast and that's really our listeners. And I love that that's a lot of the work you do. Are you working only with yoga teachers or do you work with like the everyday student and the teacher? And your work with yoga teachers is you help overwhelmed yoga teachers create sustainable routines and schedules, which is like one of the most important things as a yoga teacher. And one of the most common things that I really hear is yoga teacher burnout or always teaching the same class over and over, or not sure what new things to bring into classes. We give a lot of our energy. Yeah, let's just hear, like, what is your work helping overwhelmed yoga teachers? Um, so I started a, a program, Ayurveda for Yoga Teachers. It's a six-week group coaching program. And this was really, really birthed because a lot of yoga teachers that I knew also just had the intro to Ayurveda and their 200 hour, which is fine. I mean, there's so much to cover, but then it's like, that's it. And in my continuing studies with Ayurveda and yoga, I really saw how important it was to have that information and to implement them more together and, and how much deeper I could take my students in that way. So mm -hmm. I created this Ayurveda for Yoga Teacher program because I too was an overwhelmed yoga teacher who, I mean, pre-COVID days, but was running around from class to class, like eating a sandwich in my car, yes. oversleeping at 6 a.m. yoga. Yes. <laughs> that The eating in the car is like classic overwhelmed yeah. yoga teacher. I remember those days driving and just like eating. I mean, it's bad, but like one knee on the steering wheel and like trying to eat before the next class. That was horrible. <laughs> yeah. And losing my practice. It's like all of a sudden I wasn't practicing yoga. And I think a lot of people, especially yoga teachers, I think one of our common themes is wanting to help people. And so putting our students and our clients needs before our own. And so once I leaned more into yoga sister, Ayurveda, I started to learn and implement more sustainable rituals and routines that made me feel better, basically, and be able to show up as the teacher I wanted to be, to be able to practice in the way I wanted to practice, and to give myself a break, really, mm -hmm. not be hard on myself and understanding my own gifts and leaning more into that too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. So when you're helping the overwhelmed yoga teacher, are you helping them implement their own daily practices, their own Ayurvedic daily practices? And are you working on their like schedule and routine in a way as well? Yeah, so the, the first two weeks is really about leaning more into what is Ayurveda and learning more about the philosophy and the background there, and then steeping into sense care and self-care practices. Ayurveda talks about three causes of disease 
we have temporal factors, which is almost like the X factor, right? Things we can't quite control, like seasons and time of life. Okay. And then we have crimes against wisdom. So once we know dairy makes us break out and we continue to eat the dairy, eventually we're going to get dis-ease or disease. Yeah. And then improper use of the sense organs. So the sense organs are so revered in Ayurveda because they're literal openings into our physical body. Like think about your eyes, your ears, your nose, your mouth, your skin, mm-hmm. these openings. And so in considering yoga teacher self-care, it's like, what are some sense care and self-care practices that I can do to support myself? And that's really laying the foundation before even talking about teaching. It's like, how are you taking care of yourself and what ways are you going to implement this wisdom into your life first? It's really important. Self-care as a teacher is like the most important. Being able to ground, to fill our own cup up before we show up and serve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So once laying that foundation, then it's like, all right, getting more into a relationship with Vata, Pitta, and Kapha. How can I do this in my students? How can I create a yoga class to help balance Vata energy, Pitta, and Kapha? And then rounding it out with learning more about Ayurveda and the mind and meditation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's go back to the classes. So how do you structure? I don't know if that's the right word. How do you share if you have a mixed group? Right? So if you really want to help invite your Ayurvedic principles into your classes, but we show up and like the most common thing if, if we're teaching public classes is you have everything, you have every kind of person in there. So how do you actually like implement Ayurveda into that style of class? For me, I consider the season that we're in, whether it's advertised or not as Ayurvedic yoga, I'm always going to implement some the medicine that's needed. Yeah. So considering, yeah, it being Vata season, fall and winter time, I'm considering opposite qualities, right? How to ground, how to restore, how to nourish, particularly when you throw in the holidays and that as well. Mm-hmm. So right now we're in winter, moving into winter more. Would you be teaching what style of class? In general, I'm mostly a slow flow teacher. Anyway, I'm Kafa. (laughs) And I want to hang and be slow, restorative yoga, yoga nidra. (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of my jam. And it's the medicine needed in the the winter time. I always like to say too, dosha balancing yoga, vata yoga doesn't have to be slow. It can be a vigorous class, but it's all about how are you delivering the poses, what poses are you doing, and the environment that you're setting your intention behind it. So when you're teaching, do you teach public classes right now? I I mean, I I guess with COVID, right? I would like to. I took a break from the Zoom classes to Mm -hmm. focus on the, the group programs I'm doing, but I'm interested in coming back, so we'll see. Yeah, cool. So when you're teaching, you know, here's something that we can all relate to as teachers is say we're teaching and I know a lot of the listeners do teach public group classes. So this question is, I think, valuable in if we want to add Ayurvedic principles into our teachings, but our students have this expectation, like they want this like sweaty flow class, because that's all they know. That's all they've done. That's what they want. But in reality, we actually need a little bit of the opposite today, or this week or this month. Do you come in and kind of drip in like what they want and then give them what they need and educate them in the sense as well, like this is the season we're in and this is why I'm, in, I'm inviting us into this. How do you like shift when students might have an expectation? It's both. It's exactly giving them what they want. Give the people what they want. 
Yeah, <laughs> medicine they need. And that takes practice. It takes skill. It takes a skillfulness to explore giving them what they want and the medicine that they need. And it depends. It's like, if my classes are not advertised as Ayurvedic yoga, maybe I'll, I'll slip in some Ayurvedic wisdom. But even just in my delivery or the way that we're sharing it, they're going to get the benefit of the, the medicine that's needed season two. Got it. So what are some like of your traditional simple tips, daily tips that people can start to implement right away? So considering the three pillars of health of diet, sleep and energy management, food being so important. And this little fact blew my mind when I first heard it. Maybe other people already know this, but the earth provides us with exactly what we need. So in the winter time, it's Vata season, air and ether are dominant. It's the time that we're having winter squashes, right? Like butternut and kaboka and acorn squash, sweet potatoes. There's heavier foods that are bountiful this time of year that are meant to help ground us. In the springtime, kapha season, when it's heavy and dense, there's a, a bounty of, of bitter and astringent greens like dandelion greens and mustard greens and asparagus that are helping to shed from the heaviness that was accumulated in the spring. And the summertime, it's a bunch of fruits and veggies that are here to help cool us like watermelon and cucumber from the heat of the summertime. And so thankfully, we live in a first world country, we can go to the grocery store and potentially get whatever we want whenever we want. If we just start to slow down a little bit and pay attention and notice what's actually growing, what's in season right now, and that's why I'm a big component, uh, proponent of farmers markets and CSA, the community shared agriculture, because farmers don't lie, right? They're showing you what they're growing. Um, and it makes the choices easy versus going to a grocery store and maybe being overwhelmed and just getting what you want. But one of the first things to do is eating seasonally. And that will more often than not support you in being more in balance with the doshas. Yeah, I love that. That's a really great way to look at it. Like, like the earth is trying to show us how to live this. Are we listening? Are we actually paying attention? Are we tuning in? Because if we do, we'll find more balance versus like you said, going to the grocery store, pulling different things off the shelves that have been there for however long and like eating things that are opposite of what is actually needed at that time. And that's how imbalances are created. I mean, one of the ways, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so I love that. What's at the farmer's market? That's a great tip. Eat seasonally. What else do you have? Yeah, and then sleep. I mean, maybe some people are rolling their eyes like, I got to hear about sleep again. But are we sleeping? You know, this is so huge. For me as a kapha, it's very easy for me to sleep anywhere, anytime. <laughs> but 2020, I mean, this year has been the first year I've, I've really had difficulty with sleep, actually. And I have experienced insomnia and I have experienced late nights. That's to do with a lot of vata overwhelm and anxiety and fearfulness. Yeah, like what's happening in the world right now. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And so sleep, we might disregard it, but it is so necessary and important for our functions. Between the hours of 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. in particular, that's when our liver gets a little detox. One of my teachers referred to it as a liver janitor. And if <laughs> we're awake during that time, it's almost like the janitor comes in and says, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't realize someone was home. I'll come back later. And we out on our nightly liver detox. And that's 10 and 2. Yep, 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. And so if we're continuously not going to bed till midnight, 1 a.m., right? We're going to miss out on this process that our body needs to be supported. And ultimately, as time goes on, dis-ease and disease can follow. 
And so many people stay up past 10. So that's, that makes sense. And does each dosha need a different amount of sleep or is it kind of all across the board? Like, is there a certain time to hopefully be asleep by and then wake up by? Yeah. And so we do want to hopefully be asleep by 10. And what can happen, and I don't know if you've experienced this or anyone else, but almost a second wind, right? It's like you might start to feel tired by 10, but then you decide to watch a Netflix or something. And you're up to one. Right. So that's the second wind. That's pitta time of day. And so that's why if we just like put ourselves to bed and not follow the Netflix instincts, that'll be most supportive. For, for waking up, we have the, the vata time of day, which is between 2 to 6 a.m. This is when there's a natural lightness, right? So the birds are chirping, animals are starting to wake up, the sun starts to rise. And I don't know if you or anyone else has just woken up to at like 4 or 5 in the morning and then say, oh, I'm going to go back to sleep. But if we follow that lightness, that energy, it's a, it's a good time of day to, to do some of our meditation practices, to wake up slowly, to do some, some sense care like tongue scraping or you know brushing our teeth, maybe having some hot water or hot water with lemon. Mm-hmm. And then just going to restoke our digestive fire, support and elimination, hopefully, um, and hydrate us. And then the uh, 6 a.m. to 10 a.m., this is the kapha time of day. So the kapha time of day, if we go to sleep and wake up at like 8 a.m., then we might feel really sluggish and heavy, right? And then it's harder to get out of bed. Mm -hmm. So we're influenced by the kapha energy. And so that's a really great time to maybe have a light breakfast and to do some movement practice, um, moving the water energy. Just to round it out, uh, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. is pitta time of day as well. And that's when the sun is the highest. So, so too is our digestive fire. And so Ayurveda recommends that lunch be our biggest meal because we can take on more food. We can assimilate more food during that time. And then rounding it out to vata time of day, two to six, time to wind down, a little gentle yoga, creativity, and then kapha time of day, six to 10, eating dinner at least two hours before bed and having dinner be the lightest meal of the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, know th- I noticed that I naturally like that my body has learned that it feels best like a lighter breakfast bigger meal in the day and then lighter at night don't eat before bed i feel my best with that so that's cool let's go back to tongue scraping for a minute i love this i don't do it every day but why is it helpful tongue scraping i think for some people once you try it it's like how did i not do this anymore Mm Tongue scraping is helpful because you're physically removing excess buildup on the tongue that happens while we're detoxing overnight, right? And digesting and assimilating. And so we scrape the tongue, I say about seven times because we have seven layers of tissue. So in a subtle way, and the tongue's like a map of the body. So mm. in a subtle way, we're, we're cleansing each layer of tissue. That's, I like that. The tongue is the map of the body. Like, that's cool. Yes. Okay. So we're physically removing excess buildup. We are stimulating also perhaps a bowel movement. It's like one of the first steps in digestion as well. And it can help to improve taste, right? So food might become a little bit more flavorful. Yeah, cool. I bet that's inspiring people to want a tongue scrape. (laughs) Very cool. And then I know there's other practices that you can implement daily, like at Bianga, the oil massage. So can you speak to that a little bit more too? Abhyanga is a really powerful medicinal practice. It 
self-oil massage. And the word for oil in Sanskrit is sneha, and it means both oil and love. Okay. I love that. So when we're offering ourselves oil, we are offering ourselves love. And the Abhyanga practice is really intentional of using about a quarter cup of warm oil. Now, if you are someone that runs cold, uh, sesame oil would be a nice option for you because sesame oil is more warming. And if you're someone that runs hot, coconut oil would be a nice option because it's more cooling. Okay. So does the oil choice not necessarily matter to what dosha you are like it just can work off of like if i'm running hot or if i'm running cold do the opposite yeah yeah whatever's present for you so in the summertime i use coconut oil because i'm hot in the fall in the winter and spring i use sesame because i i'm cold okay got it yeah i love that so that's a really good practice for yoga teachers to implement is there a certain time of day i mean any any time you can put oil on your body is great (laughs) self-care yeah, it's doing like long strokes on the limbs and circles on the joints for the belly. You're moving up the right side of the belly and down the left to support the flow of digestion. The only time you would avoid doing an Abhyanga practice is is for women. It's not recommended during our menstrual cycle because our bodies are detoxing. And so we don't want to disturb that flow. Or if you had a fever or were sick, you would want to abstain from an Abhyanga practice as well. Mm, okay, interesting. And we just got a question, what do you do with the oil, right? So we are rubbing it all over the body. And are we, are you trying to get everywhere? Yeah, safe for a whole body. Um, if I was to do this practice in the morning time, I might start at my feet and work my way up to consider an upward flow of energy. If I was doing this practice in the evening, I might start up and work my way down. It's really like a 20 minute practice. It takes 20 minutes for oil to penetrate through all seven layers of our tissue. You know, maybe massaging yourself for the whole 20 minutes, maybe it takes 10 minutes and you hang out for 10 minutes. Um, And then it's taking a warm shower or a warm bath, not using soap. I'm not doing all my shower things to undo what I just did, but just to rinse off and then pat myself dry. Okay. And you want it to sit for at least 20 minutes. Yeah. On the skin. Mm -hmm. Okay. Are there any other like simple daily practices that people can implement? Yeah. Well, so we got the tongue scraping, mm-hmm. hot water, making lunch your biggest meal, the abhyanga practice. Yeah. And considering sleep, so winding down. So so some ways that can support sleep is even just if you just rubbed your feet with oil before bed, put on some socks. It's like such a simple pleasure. A friend mm-hmm. of mine just stole a pair of my socks. <laughs> she felt <laughs> best oil socks to use. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) And maybe having some chamomile tea or something more soothing and warming to support you before rest as well. And for some people, this might already feel like a long list and feel overwhelming. All right. So now I got to wake up. I got a tongue scrape. I got to do (laughs) it. Yeah. What I like to say, I'm a big proponent of the idea of a one degree shift. Uh, One of my teachers, Kobe Kozlowski, shares this, that if you just make one choice, one decision, and you continue with that over time, you're going to end up somewhere totally different. So if Mm -hmm. all you did is just pick one of these practices, if all you did was tongue scrape, if all you did was make lunch your biggest meal, if all you did was oil massage, and just put your focus and attention on that, you will reap huge benefits. Yeah, I love that. Because that's realistic. And it's actually it's, it can be really overwhelming to try to do 10 new things at once one simple thing, and then it becomes habit, and then you start to enjoy it, and then maybe add the next. I love that. That's a really good tip. Shifting now a bit into your practice. So what are your 
as a yoga teacher, as a business owner, as a space holder, as a facilitator, what are your top three non-negotiables for your own self-care and filling your own cup up before you show up and serve Mm -hmm. or to be able to show up and serve? Um, Pretty similar to what we spoke about, but I always start my day with hot water. Okay. Hot water with lemon. It just makes me feel good. I feel like I'm rehydrating myself. I'm supporting my digestion. I think of it as just an internal cleansing, thinking of your insides like a used lasagna pan, scrubbing out any residue from the day before Mm -hmm. and considering my own energy. So particularly this year, I've felt really sensitive to other people's energy. Whatever practices work well for others, for me, it's like Epsom salt baths and burning sage intent with intention and really checking in of, of what's mine and what's not mine. Yes, that's a huge. Mm-hmm. And not carrying it like it's yours. Exactly. To, to, to see the difference. Yes. And lunch. I mean, I love to eat. I got a pit of hunger. <laughs> and so lunch, I remember just, and in, in general, our society treats lunch breaks like non-existent. Yeah. And it's always the meal that kind of gets scooted over, I think. Gets skipped, yeah. Yeah. And worked through. Yeah, exactly. So I always, in managing my own schedule, like leave enough time for a lunch break to be able to eat a large meal that's nourishing and to have time to go for a walk and take a break midday to support the, the juices flowing. Those are good. Those are really good. So since this is a podcast for yoga teachers, and a lot of teachers are learning how to maybe start a business, step outside of the studio model, which I know you have, you're now you have your own brand, you have your own business, it's called rhythm of simplicity, which I love that name. What's your like biggest tip you think that helped you that you can share with the listeners on taking the leap, trusting yourself to actually start to like grow your own thing versus teaching in a studio setting. I mean, I am not shy to share that this is the first year since 2013 that I have not worked in a restaurant. Yeah. So you had a second job. Yeah. I always had a second job and I actually recommend that like if you're just starting unless you have savings um but i did not have savings and for me there's a different energy when i was trying to make it work and it was almost like i was strangling my business to support me and make me money yes yeah shifting that mindset to like let me get a job that helps me take care of my basic needs and pay my bills and let my business breathe and let it grow and be and focus on community and whatever however long and whatever shape that takes That's good. Yeah, because then you're not forcing, you're not pulling, you're not like just trying to climb uphill. Now you're able to like, okay, I'm gonna I have what I need for my basic needs. I have money coming in here. And now I can stay in alignment and not force myself into places that might not be right. And then the other piece coming from that perspective is just authenticity, like finding your voice and the way that you want to share things. I I had to get over imposter syndrome too, because I'm like, why would someone want to learn Ayurveda from me when they could learn from Dr. John Dooliard? (laughs) But it's about how all of us, right, are saying the same things, but there's 7 billion people in the world. And all of us have different energies and people are drawn to different people for different things. And and just tapping into that abundance mindset, there's enough for everyone. 
and no one is you and no one can share it the way that you share it and people will connect with the way that you share it more than the other person exactly i love that it's like this is one of my favorite topics and conversations to have and it was last week's episode or no two weeks ago was about imposter syndrome for yoga teachers because it's so real it's so real and it came up for me with starting my 200 hour program there are so many programs why should i start why would i start who's gonna come and then we just have to work through that well, because this is what I'm being called to do. And I need to do this. And I'm myself and no one's me. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's really powerful. Thanks for sharing that. What are you working on currently in your business? What do you have going on now? Well, currently, I'm in week five of my current Ayurveda for Yoga Teachers cohort. And in talking about too, just one of my students just reflected to me how learning the dosha balancing yoga has reignited her passion for planning classes again. Ah, that's cool. Yeah, so it's it's really great for me to just see how this information is landing for other people and how they're implementing it and translating it and making it their own. So we're in that special spot they do like practice teaches and it's nice to just just see that. And so, yeah, I'm building Ayurveda for Yoga Teachers. I have the next round happening in January. Yeah, one-on-one -on -one sessions with people that maybe just want to learn Ayurveda or if they would just want some one-on-one -on -one to Ayurvedic yoga support as well. Yeah, that's awesome. And how long is the yoga teacher program again? It's six weeks. Six weeks. And it's online. Mm -hmm. Yep. Online. Very cool. Okay, cool. Yeah, next one's in January. So where can people find you and connect with you? What's your Instagram handle? What's your website? All the good things. My Instagram is at Ayurveda girl underscore where I do my best to just share how I'm implementing Ayurveda in real time in my day to day. And um, my website is rhythmofsimplicity.com. I love it. And you really scored a good Instagram handle. Like that's a, that's a great one. <laughs> what does rhythm of simplicity mean? How did you create it? How did you come up with that name? Well, taking it back to my first introduction to Ayurveda of just being mind blown at how much of a difference a one temperature meal made and learning Ayurvedic medicine as hot water and oil on the body and using spices in our food. I was like, it's really simple. Mm. We forget. And so it's just coming back to, to the rhythm of simplicity, like the rhythm of nature. It's all here for us. It's all available to us. And we are nature and just tapping back into circadian rhythm. All mm. of that. That's awesome. I love it. And yeah, I just really appreciate you being here and sharing with us. So thank you, Justine. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I love chatting this stuff. Yeah, it was great. Thank you so much for listening in today. I'd love to stay connected with you in between episodes. You can find me on Instagram at Taylor underscore Ray Yoga and join the free private yoga teacher circle Facebook group, which is full of some pretty awesome and badass yoga teachers. 